Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Jonathan Brown. Jonathan is a grifter, part of the series I created called A Grifter's Song, and he has written Travel Money, which is episode 15, and it dropped on March 1st of 2021. And uh, we're going to talk to him about that process and what it was like to write in the uh, Grifter's Song universe and uh, a whole lot more, actually. He's got an interesting uh, musician's background, and he writes a uh, series of books uh, featuring a uh, drummer named Lou Crasher, who's uh, an amateur investigator. Uh, And he's just a cool guy. So you're going to enjoy that interview. I certainly did. Uh, Before we get to that, though, I do need to remind you that Wrong Place Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books, uh, also the publisher of A Grifter's Song. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that sounds like something you'd like, you can check out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com, down and out books. Take the journey with us. And now, without further ado, let's uh, meet and discuss things with Jonathan Brown. Well, hey, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, Frank, uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So your uh, your Grifter Song book is uh, uh, dropping on March first. Uh, we're talking uh, this. This is releasing on March third. So uh, your baby's a couple of days old now. As as people are listening to this, uh, all right. Future. So. Uh, tell me about that experience because, you know, most of what you've written has been, uh, fiction wise anyway, has been, you know, completely your own creation, your own world. And, and in a grifter's song, you're kind of like, you know, for like a television show or something, you're playing within certain foul lines and everything. So how was that different for you? Well, absolutely. Um, I want to start with a shout out to Eric Beatner because I believe he tossed my name into the hat you were holding out. Is that, uh correct? Yeah, I think so. He, he gave yeah. me a number of suggestions for season three to consider and, and, and yours was one of them. And yeah, Eric's a great guy. It's one of those people that, uh, is, you know, does a lot of hard work and writes a lot of great stuff. And, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time, just really promotes other authors, uh, oh, just selflessly. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you, uh, reached out and told me about the Grifter song, I'm a big believer in uh, doing those things, getting out of the comfort zone and doing the stuff that scares you. Uh, I love the whole con movies and and con books, but I am not a con minded guy at all. So it was like putting on a jacket that doesn't fit that well. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's still trying to be cool. So that's, it's not easy to do. So there was some research involved Um, without doing a spoiler or anything. I, um, I had kind of started with a small con and then it went to the bigger con and the small con, I, the, that idea came to me from something that happened to me and the big con, uh, had to do a little research and found something in the news and went with that. But again, it's just, I really had to think like, it was just, I'm just not a con guy. <laughs> wait a minute now. Wait a minute. You, I know about the research part cause you told me about that. And, and I, uh, I thought that was brilliant, but you didn't tell me that you were a Mark. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, n- well, I was a, <laughs> I was a mark, but but it worked out. Um, ah. uh, I was a uh, best man for a buddy, and uh, I had to set up the bachelor party. 
And I hate bachelor parties. Even, even, and this was in the 80s. I just thought a bunch of dudes, like I'd rather go to a bar that has, where we might, you know, find some company. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was, a, I had to set up the bachelor party and everyone said, hey, you know, we want to, we need a dancer there. So I went to this company and this guy was so full of crap. And even his accent was, his British accent was phony. And I knew that because I have a horrible fake British accent. <laughs> <laughs> Takes one to know one, huh? <laughs> oh, hey, do, you, do you like big breasts, do you? And I'm like, oh, come on, man. That's not, what part of Britain is that from, right? <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> yeah. And then he had this catalog of all these young women in it. And I said, okay, how about this one? Oh, so sorry, she's booked. And I'm like, so that happened, you know, five times in a row. And I said, are any women available on this day? And then, of course, he had one. So it did work out. She showed up and she, she did the dance and stuff. But his his office just had these fake pictures on the wall and all this stuff. So it, it did work out. So I wasn't a mark. But I this guy was so full of crap that – and this was before I was a writer. But I just downloaded this guy's whole demeanor and said, this has got to be a character somewhere. <laughs> and you found a place for him in Travel Money. So yeah, or the concept anyway. Now we won't give away the the larger con, uh, except to say you you did get that from uh, uh, at least you based it on something you you read in the news as as partially yeah. sort of happening for real. Yeah, I, exactly. It's kind of one of those things you have uh, like the NPR or something going on in the background, and you you kind of listen and then you just move on. And then when the story came up, I thought what was that thing? I heard about that thing. And then, you know, you fire up, <laughs> fire up the laptop and you looked, you got to make sure you got to fact check to make sure it was a real thing. <laughs> and then I was surprised that this, um, this con or whatever is uh, international. Well, it certainly works within the context of a grifter song and, and in travel money. Uh, it, and it, it's a great, uh, convention that you use and then you uh, really nail the characters and bring your own uh, angle to them. Um, what was the toughest thing for you in writing in a world that's somewhat already painted? Well, from the beginning, it was uh, the intimidation because I had looked at your the roster of uh, writers before me and you've got all these heavy hitters. And then I was really didn't want to F, F this thing up for you because you've put so much into developing these characters and, and building the, the world. Like you did say, we could pick our own city and, and, and the con, but uh, I thought, okay, it's like you join a sports team. You just don't want to be the weak link, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so I came in with a whole bunch of respect, like a ton of respect and shout out to you. Cause you are a great editor. And I just actually reread the story last night. And I don't know if you find this, you go back to something you wrote a while ago and you think, well, I'm better than that now. And then I'm reading this thing like, oh, I need to up my current game because this is really good. And I owe a lot of that to you. Well, you, it, you know, you uh, and and really all of the grifter writers have been so easy to work with. It's it's been it's been it's been a pleasure. It's one of those things where you know editing can be a task if there's conflict that can't be. Uh, right. You know, discussed and people don't. You know, but if you approach it, if everybody's approaching it from the 
what's best mm. for the story. We all want the same thing sort of angle. I think it's pretty collegial. It's pretty collaborative. Um, yeah. yeah, I love the story. I love the setting. Um, and, and, you know, this has been a really exciting season so far and there's more to come later on, but, uh, you know, th- this isn't the only thing you've written. And, and as much as I'd like to continue to uh, promote a grifter song and travel money in, in, in particular, I, I do want to touch on your Lou Crasher books because, uh, there's a couple of those. He's a, an interesting character and, and kind of ties into you. Uh, on at least one level, individual, uh, personally, that I'd like to talk about, and uh, the most recent ones, like only six months old at this point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is called "Don't Shoot the Drummer," which is the second one um, in that series uh, with uh, down that came out with Down and Out Books. Crescendo being the first, uh, the big crescendo, yeah. And then there was a couple that I self-published before that, but really that was when I was kind of learning how to write and learning the rules of uh, mystery and all that stuff. And that was kind of, you know, flying live without a net because I didn't really have editors so much or, you know, I might've had a, uh, like a grammar edit, uh, but no one was saying, oh, you can do this, you can't do that. So it was the wild west and, you know, I was overwrote a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I came in with this ego, like, I'm not writing a word under 100,000 words, and that's it, uh, regardless of whether the story needs it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I grew up and, and got with some good editors and found a home at Down and Out, yeah, Don't Shoot the Drummer is the uh, second one in the series. And Luke Crasher is a, uh, you know, he's a gun for hire uh, rock and roll drummer, uh, which is what which is what I was and still on to a certain degree. And that is um, where the band is already already established, but they need a sub drummer or they want to go on a short gig on the road. And uh, so you got to learn a lot of material very quickly, get out there and don't blow the gig, which is how I kind of approached, um, you know, the Grifter series. Like Mm -hmm. the band band is already established. You're just going to sub, you're going to come in there and they're going to, you know, not only pay you, but uh, hopefully call you again down the road or maybe offer you the spot, the permanent spot. So what I did with my experience there, I came up with Lou Crasher. And I've always been a fan of the amateur PI. So I just made him uh, a guy that's trying to mind his own business. But because he's got this strong sense of right and wrong and do the right thing, he um, gets he becomes an amateur PI by accident. And, you know, he's got some street smarts and some rock and roll smarts, but he's also a guy that used to watch the Rockford Files and Magnum P.I. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions here. Uh, let's talk music first, musical question first. So would someone like Lou or like yourself, that that gun for hire would essentially be like the live slash tour slash gig version of a session drummer, kind of? Yeah, and then sometimes, and there often was a lot, of uh, people, especially in the nineties, when I moved to LA, there's a lot of people that uh, wanted to zip into the studio, do a three or five song demo, and then send that to a record label and try to get a deal. So I got a ton of work, just learning songs, going in the studio, boom, get for $50 and a uh, Subway sandwich and then get out of there. Right. Wow. (laughs) You know, I, 
my my musical ability is is minuscule. I mean, I've I've picked up the guitar and tried to learn it, and I can play a few songs now uh, poorly, but uh, but I enjoy the hell out of it, and it makes me happy. And my wife says I'm getting better, and I, I think she's telling the truth. Um, <laughs> but so I'm in awe of people uh, who have musical ability. I mean, you mentioned Eric Beatner earlier, and he he had a punk band years ago, and 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 then and so but. Drumming, I mean, I and I don't claim to be a musical expert, so correct me if I'm wrong here. But drumming, you're like, you're like the backbone of the song, right? You're 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 almost like, you're like the metronome of the song, kind of, aren't you? So isn't that a pretty important role? It is, and we've all heard the drummer drummer jokes, and there's a lot of them, and uh, I don't think they're funny. Actually, they don't bother <laughs> me. But the actual expression is, and I think a band is only as good as a drummer because. That's what, you know, everyone can tap their foot or get on the dance floor or, or mosh pit or bob their head. Like groove is everything. And, and, and that, that comes from the drummer because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a horrible singer can, can ruin a band. But if you're a half decent singer and your rhythm section and your you know, guitar player, if the band is slamming, people will be happy. Mm-hmm. But that drummer speeds up and slows down and, and the groove is horrible and he's trying to play reggae and it doesn't work. Ugh. And the thing is, musicians don't have poker faces. Those That guitar player and that bass player will turn around and look at that drummer and say, dude. And then the crowd said, will say, dude, did you see that? <laughs> Even the band is pissed off. <laughs> so that's who Lou Crasher is. Uh, you said he's an, uh, an amateur PI, essentially, who has you know, strong sense of right and wrong. He has some street smarts and you said he has some rock and roll smarts. Now I stumbled on that one. What does that mean? Uh, okay. Suppose you're on the road and you know, you're going to do a gig and you just can tell that the manager is sleazy or something. And you just got this feeling that I get the feeling that even though we're supposed to play four sets tonight, we're going to be done at two in the morning. This guy might not pay up. Right. So I was always good at sort of reading people. And uh, sometimes you say you get there and say, you know, we're going to need such and such up front or we're going to need a bigger percentage of the door. It kind of comes down to the money. You got to read people and make sure you get paid. And I used to have a policy, which was just my own, is which was if I do the work for you, then you're paying me no matter what. And um, I remember being on the road and we did that. We stayed at this place for a week. We did the gig. And, you know, the manager and his massive bouncer held back a hundred bucks. Why? And I said, well, I said, well, you know, we, we called your agent and said, you guys just weren't playing enough of the top 40 that we like. Cause we were kind of more classic rock. And I was really pissed that the agent didn't let us know. The agent said, okay, no problem. <laughs> so we uh, load up the van and uh, we're a hundred bucks short. And that, this is the late eighties. So, you know, that's, that's the gas money home. And, um, so I said to the, the manager, I said, you know, you're going to pay. And uh, the, the bouncer's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I wasn't talking to you. So I said to the manager, I said, let's go. And he goes, no, your agent said it's cool. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to fire the agent when I get back back to the city. And uh, he goes, well, I'm not paying you. And the bouncer says, yeah, and it's time for you to go. So then I look behind the, the manager. I'm looking at the top shelf, like the expensive liquor. And he goes, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to take a hundred bucks worth of your booze. <laughs> 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 and 
now, now, but for the record, I was completely bluffing, but <laughs> I just kept pushing it, and the bouncer uh, stepped closer, and he goes, "I'd like to see you try." And I said, "Is anyone talking to you, pal?" And he is just fuming, this bouncer, right? <laughs> and he's getting closer. And I didn't really have a plan. I knew I'd be faster than the guy, but um, I thought if I just hung in there long enough, I might get this hundred dollars. And uh, long story short, I did not get the hundred dollars, but it kind of became my role in a lot of the bands because a lot of musicians they don't have that other side. Like I sort of, I had an older brother, and you know, he taught me how to fight, and then later, much later, I got into martial arts. And and a lot of musicians are worried about their hands and their, and their instruments, so. I always made sure I got paid because a lot of guys always try to stiff the band. So that was the one hundred dollars that got away. But other guys tried stuff and I would just physically threaten. (laughs) Is this on the record? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think it was specific enough for prosecution. So I think you're all right. So it sounds like rock and roll smarts is almost a subset of street smarts. Like it's a specific category of street smarts. I get it now. I get it now. Uh, you said you got into martial arts. What uh, style of martial arts? Uh, Hapkido, which is a uh, Korean karate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is uh, kind of a uh, you you uh, you have you do martial arts, right? Uh, not these days, uh, but uh, quite a bit earlier in my life. Yeah, there's there's right. no there's no good schools here that I've been able to discover, which. Uh, oh. Which I hope nobody in my city is listening because they might be insulted. <laughs> but uh, no good schools that fit me. I mean, I, I'm 52 yeah. years old, and I mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to take taekwondo and 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 yeah. do jumping kicks anymore. I, and so, yeah. although hapkido is a little bit more grounded, and and I think I would enjoy that. I never got the chance to train in in it. Well, uh, it's fun because it takes uh, the the strikes of taekwondo and the, and the throws of judo and the uh, joint manipulation of mm-hmm. aikido. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the master of any of those things, but it's uh, cherry picked, and uh, it was fun. So yeah, I don't I don't go to a, a, a dojo or a, or a studio anymore. I just work the heavy bag now. Do you think your involvement in martial arts and and I think you had some boxing background as well, at least uh, academically, does that inform your fight scenes uh, when they occur? A thousand percent, a thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, and I really like writing fight scenes and I kind of save them like you would when you know you've got dessert left over. I'll get another fight scene. And if anything, I have to, you know, really edit them down because I could go on mm-hmm. as long as I could write about like a drum solo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then, yeah, the drummers and a couple of fighters might like it, but <laughs> it, it may not actually move the story to have 14 gauges of a fight. <laughs> well, you know, I, I once, I think it was Lester Bangs, or maybe that's, it, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but somebody once said that writing about music is like dancing about architecture. And, <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, I think the point of that was that it's, it's difficult to put into words, you know, what mm-hmm. is moving about music and what that experience is like. Um, how do you mm-hmm. handle that when it comes to writing? I mean, I, I, I don't think pages of a drum solo would be a good idea either, but a paragraph is probably relevant. And so how, how do you approach that? Uh, trial and error. And um, I got some really good feedback from a couple, couple of former instructors that read uh, Don't Shoot the Drummer. Because I, uh, Lou uh, describes a bit. Of, I think it's a song, and then the uh, the song breaks down, and there's like a drum break, and uh, yeah, that 
you know, probably started out at three pages and went down to a couple paragraphs. And uh, they really give me props on it. And then a lot of people that, uh, well, they're family members, but they're not musicians. And they said, wow, that, I found that really interesting. And I could have could have had more of it. So I thought, okay, keep the people wanting more on Mission Accomplished, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I think you have to, for anything, I mean, fight scenes are the same way, right? I mean, you you yeah. have to write them in a way that the person who's not a martial artist can envision yeah. them. You have to write about the music in a way that somebody who's not a musician can can imagine what they'd be hearing. Yeah. And you don't want to go so technical because that's uh, everyone will be asleep. Right. So. And you'd lose people. I mean, once you got past the idea of four, four time, you've lost me. I mean, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, quick story about um, fight choreography and all that, which if any of my stuff got made into a movie, I would definitely want that or to be part of the fight choreography team. I would love that. But uh, way back in the day, do you remember Johnny Depp was on a TV show called 21 Jump Street. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I, was, I was living in Vancouver and I was an extra on one of the episodes. And before we went to lunch, they kept rehearsing this fight scene with Johnny and some teacher or whatever on a flight of stairs. So they start on the stairs, kind of stumbled, and they finished the fight on the landing. And I watched them go through this and go through this. And I'm probably 22, 21 years old or something. And then we go to lunch and uh, everyone goes to catering, craft services, whatever. But uh, we, it was shot at a high school. So I went and shot uh, some hoops and then Johnny comes out and then the actor Dustin. And there's just the three of us shooting hoops. And I thought, this is really cool. I mean, Johnny wasn't massive fame wise, but he was a star, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was so, you know, when you're young, you think you know it all. And I said, Johnny, you know, when you guys are fighting on the stairs and and we go through the scene, I said, it wouldn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you jump the last three steps and he comes up with this uppercut that sends you back up the steps. Like it's just physics is just wrong. He's like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I said, okay, cool. <laughs> and then we went, went back to shoot. I went up to like the assistant director and I said, you know, that fight scene that it would be better if it goes like this. And uh, he said, yeah, you should tell the director that. And I go, really? He goes, no, you idiot. You're an extra. Keep your mouth closed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's fight choreography for you. Well, I'm surprised, uh, given the way Hollywood tends to work, that uh, Johnny Depp didn't go, you know, I was thinking over lunch. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I got this incredible new idea. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, well, talking about fight choreography, I, I realize it's not uh, crime fiction or even fiction, but uh, but you've written a couple of other books uh, that are, are are fight related and sports related. Here, you know, you've got a, a you've got a novel based on the life of Angelo Dundee called "A Box Boxing Trainer's Journey." Um, yeah, correct. What inspired you to to write that? Oh, that one. Um... That's kind of tied into music as well. So a buddy of mine who's an amazing guitar player named Patrick Abate, he was working for uh, the publisher at the time they're doing an Italian newspaper. And then they were branching into doing novels based on famous uh, Italians and Italian Americans. We had a rehearsal that night and he said, oh, I put your name in to uh, write these books on, uh, you know, famous Italians. And I go, I can't do that stuff. 
And he goes, uh, he's like, don't worry about it, dude. You're a writer. And I put your name in and, and, and you're going to kill it. You'll figure it out. So I thought, okay, here's what I'll do. They probably won't call. So I'll say yes now and hope for the no later because I don't know how to write that stuff. Is it a memoir? Is it a biography? Yeah, that's that's totally beyond me. And then, you know, as a favorite of Patrick, they reached out to me and and they sent me a list. And I saw, ooh, they have uh, Angelo Dundee on there. Oh, and they have Vince Lombardi. So I said, uh, what about these these two? And I said, well, Vince is taken, but you can do, send us an outline on Dundee. And I just thought, I said, can you send me a sample of one of the other outlines? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, oh, sure, no problem. And uh, they did that. And then I said, oh, wow. So that thing took me three months to write, about 25 pages. And they sent it to them and they said, okay, go for it. And at that point, they give you half the money up front. Mm-hmm. And uh, nonfiction said, is awesome that way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And they said, I said, when do you need this by? And they said, oh, we'd like to see a finished book in a year. So I set my deadline for seven months because I thought there's going to be miles of edits because I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, it came back and there was like two or three notes. I'm like, ooh, that was great. And uh, so I kept in touch with this publisher and I had a couple of book launches. And I said, what do people, uh, writers typically do for their launches? And they said, well, you're kind of the only guy that does book launches. I said, oh, well, I know you paid me outright and, and we're done, but I still want the book to sell. Like, you know, so they said, oh, well, that's great. So I had a great uh, relationship and kept that going. They're called the Mentoris Project. And uh, they had a falling out on the Lombardi book. And I said, oh, I can write that book. I used to play football. And they said, you did? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me that book. And so that one is done. And um, I'm just wait. They're just picking a cover now. So I'm I'm confused here. Am I wrong in saying you're you're Canadian, right? I am. I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Beautiful city. Beautiful city. Yeah, it is. And but you you're a football player, not a hockey player, or were you both? Uh, I just played like uh, they called it semi pro, although it didn't pay. So I don't know why they said it was semi pro. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that in Canada until I was about 21, 22. Oh uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, those are those teams where the only person making money is the guy who owns it and the guy selling hot dogs and drinks, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it, I mean, we not only were we the worst team, not only did we not score any, I think we got a couple of field goals. We barely had any first downs <laughs> and still had a blast. <laughs> Well, that's what you get for being so dominant in hockey as Canada. So you just you just have to eat it when it comes to football and basketball. I don't know what to tell you. So so what's next? Uh, you know, Travel Money is out now. Uh, Lou Crasher has two books. Uh, you've got your your Vince Lombardi on the uh, 2021 slate. What's what else is in, in store for you? The exciting new uh, hat that I've, I'm putting on is uh, the hat of audiobook narrator. And I've started a business with a buddy of mine up in Vancouver. He's done everything you can do with the voice from singing to jingles to voiceovers to book narration and stuff. And he's a real business-minded guy. His name is Brent Halfyard. And we're going to start this audiobook business where eventually we want to be a one-stop shop where we've got um, a bunch of publishers we work with and a bunch of narrators that are underneath us. And we'll also narrate some books ourselves. So right now, I'm actually in the middle of narrating Dundee, which is a ton of fun. 
about halfway through the book. And so I've got a, an excellent coach named Erin Moon, and she's giving me a hand, and uh, I, I love it. So that's, that's what's happening. There's an advantage, I think, to narrating your own work, at least, you know, you don't have to wonder what the intent was behind that sentence, you know, exactly where yeah. the emphasis yeah. or, or, or whatever the emotion is. Right. Exactly. And uh, they say that's the number one platform now for how people get their books is uh, audiobooks. It's such a huge space right now. A well-read or performed audiobook just, I think, adds another dimension to the to the material. Yeah, I think so too. And also uh, a lot of the narrators, I, I'm finding they say, well, it's not a good idea if, for writers to become narrators. And that just makes me want to do it all the more. <laughs> You're like a club owner holding back a hundred bucks. I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, and those folks probably don't have a bouncer on their side, so they're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Travel Money is the latest release. It is uh, episode 15 Woo! of A Grifter Song. Uh, the author is Jonathan Brown. And hey, I've been looking forward to this, Jonathan. I'm, I'm glad I got you on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Frank. Well, there you are, folks. Jonathan Brown uh, went a little long with him uh, for an open and shut episode, but he just had too much interesting things to talk about. And uh, I, I really enjoyed chatting with him. Uh, we ended up talking for a long time afterwards as well, uh, which happens frequently with guests, actually. It's nice, though, because uh, this is one of my very few social outlets these days is talking to uh, authors who are guesting on the show. Uh, so uh, that's a good thing. Uh, next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime, we're going to talk to Ryan Sales, a former police officer who has written a, a number of different books. And his most recent one uh, is coming out here in the first quarter uh, from Down and Out Books. Uh, it's Ugly Because It's Personal is the title. And uh, we had a great conversation. And that's next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime. Uh, no, no Zafiro update for you other than to say that I uh, was a guest on Debbie Mack's uh, podcast, The Crime Cafe, which is both a video and audio podcast. You can catch that on YouTube or uh, any any place where you download uh, and listen to podcasts. It's also on my website if you're interested. But uh, she has a great show and gets some tremendous guests, and uh, it's it's pretty popular. Uh, and we, we had a fun conversation. We talked about a bunch of different things, and yeah, you might enjoy it. That's The Crime Cafe, hosted by Debbie Mack. I'd like to say thanks to Jonathan for coming on the show, Down Out Books for being the sponsor, and you, the listener, for making the time. If you enjoyed the interview with Jonathan Brown, check out his new book, Travel Money, A Grifter's Song, uh, or dive into the Lou Crasher series. Uh, we'll see you next episode with Orion Sales. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.